Welcome to the Aligned Women Podcast, a podcast to empower women in chiropractic to grow practices that work for their families. I'm Dr. Danielle Eaton. And I'm Dr. Shauna Dingman. We're two moms who are navigating the journey of life and practice just like you. So sit back, take a deep breath, and enjoy the show. everyone, and welcome to the Aligned Women podcast. Danielle and I are really excited to bring a really special edition podcast to you today. This is actually a recording of a live training that we did in the Aligned Women membership team, which is our paid uh, group coaching membership site. We do regular training on topics that are really important to our members. Back at the beginning of May, we had a guest expert on. We were really honored to welcome Shelley Warren of BizChicks and of the Stacking Your Team podcast. Shelly is a team building expert. And in our interview, we talked about how to have the best hiring process possible to find your ideal team members. We talked about what we can do when a staff member leaves suddenly so we're not in panic mode. We talked about the CEO mindset that helps us create a space that allows us to work on our business and not just in our business so that we can actually grow in a really healthy way. After we hit pause on this recording, Shelly actually stayed with us in the membership site so that Aligned Women members could ask her questions, and we talked a lot about how to make sure that we have the right key people in the right positions, and it was awesome. So enjoy this special edition guest expert teaching with Shelly Warren from our Aligned Women membership call. So I think we are good to get started. I'm going to give Shelly an introduction here for those of you who are just joining us. And I'm so glad to see you guys on with me. This is Shelly Warren of Biz Chicks and the Stacking Your Team podcast. Now, Shelly has a very long history in corporate. So she was with Procter & Gamble, which is a, a huge, it's a global, is it, would you call it a marketing company, Shelly? It's a consumer's goods, goods company. And it definitely is global. Including third world countries, yes. Okay, mm-hmm. great. So Shelly was yeah. with them for, I love how you said it in your podcast, you were with them for 25 years and you loved every minute of it until you didn't love it anymore. And then she started creating an exit strategy. So Shelly knew that she wanted to to keep on going and to keep doing what she was doing, but she didn't want to do it in a corporate structure anymore. She really wanted to have a business on her own terms. And one of the things that Shelly seemed to be really known for, and it wasn't that you had a job in HR at Procter and Gamble, right? As far as your team is concerned. I had a very short, yeah, a very short stint in HR, but I mainly spent throughout my 25 years, every typically every three years, three to four years, I would switch. I was just very thirsty to learn as much as I could about the company itself. So I definitely spent the majority of my time leading technical teams, working in engineering on very large projects. I did do a short stint in HR, but throughout my entire career, I was always always teaching something on the side, always coaching, always you know, visiting the other sites. They would bring me in as a consultant to help teach or launch something there. And so I was always doing leadership style tasks. That's what really got my mojo going. Mm -hmm. Even though I was neck deep in a big engineering project, I was always doing that sort of side hustling of teaching and coaching. And I think it's interesting that one of the things you were known for 
was always having such great teams. And you had said mm-hmm. when you were teaching down at BizChicks, you had said, you know, you were really known. People thought you always had these stacked teams. And that's one of the reasons that your team always did so well. And that's why we brought mm-hmm. you on. It's not because you you were blessed with a stacked team. It's because you were so good at creating an environment where you could bring in the right people for the right jobs that it seemed like you always had a stacked team because you were very intentional about creating a stacked team. Now we have lots of incredible women chiropractors on this call who are in the scale up phase of their business where they're growing and they're adding people to their team. They're adding staff, but they're also, a lot of them are adding other practitioners who aren't necessarily Mm -hmm. staff. A lot of times those are independent contractors. And so we have to create the culture within our practices, but we also have to manage these teams. And one of our challenges is that, first of all, we get no business training, no leadership training whatsoever in chiropractic college. We're just kind of expected to figure it out. But also the different people that we have to lead, staff versus independent other practitioners, we we have to lead them in a very different way. They're very different personalities and it requires a very different leadership style. So, so glad you could join us today. Really appreciate you taking this time out for our Aligned Women team. And I'm just gonna let you run with, how does someone like me begin to scale a business? I love this question because it means you're ready to scale your business. Like the minute you ask the question, it means you've already been thinking about it. And one of the first things you need to do is set up all of your structure so that you can pull out. You need to be able to pull out of your business to be able to go concentrate on business development and have somebody else or your team running the day to day. And a well-oiled machine will give you the space and the freedom to go out and do more business development. Whether you're looking to expand your current business, start a second business, or even shift into philanthropic endeavors. You've gotta have somebody back at the office, doing everything, holding up your standards, meeting all your customer and client's expectations, and really representing your brand well, or otherwise you're gonna come back or you're gonna spend way too much time putting up fires within your business. Okay, so if I'm hearing you right, what you're saying is, um, you know, most of us have an office manager, a chiropractic assistant. I know a lot of people have someone who's doing insurance. So say we're talking about the main person who's behind the desk as your chiropractic assistant. What you're Mm -hmm. saying is we want to have that person so well trained to be the, you know, the face and and the voice of our business as Mm -hmm. well as us to know the brand, to know how we talk and know what we do so that as we kind of pull away from some of the spotlight and still focus on the patients, we it, that's going to free us up to be able to develop our more marketing, a better brand strategy, um, to hire more staff. Is that right? Absolutely. Your front office manager is an extension of you in every way, shape, and form. And I find oftentimes in smaller organizations we either inherit somebody that's in that role or we hire through emotions. So it could be your sister-in-law. It could be your favorite babysitter for your, from your kids and she's out of college and now you want to give her a role. And oftentimes when we hire through emotion, we'll tend to overlook 
lacks of, of contribution or lack of skill set because we've made the decision based on it on emotion not on fact mm -hmm. and then we can get into trouble so smart business owners learn how to remove the emotion out of those decision hiring like your hiring decisions and they hire based on business need and understanding that these people that are joining your team whether they're contractors or whether they are your own staff under your own brand they are an extension of you. And so they have to understand the overarching values and mission of the work that you're trying to provide and understand what are your expectations, what are your standards and follow them. So would that be the first step then? I mean, if we're thinking of scaling and we know that we have an office manager or a chiropractic assistant who isn't there yet, is that sort of mm -hmm. step one? We've got to either get them there or we've got to find someone who can be that person. Absolutely, or else you'll never be able to shift your focus anywhere else. Mm -hmm. at, le at least not 100% of the time because you'll always feel this draw to come back in to solve problems. Yeah, you know, one of the things I've always said to my chiropractic clients too is to remember you can have a wonderful chiropractic assistant who has done a great job for you, but quite often the person who got you to 50 people a week is not going to be the person mm -hmm. who will get you to 150 people a week. They, no. they have a certain mindset and a certain way of doing things. It's what they're used to. And it's why they were so good in that role when your volume is smaller. But as soon as things start to grow, they're not necessarily the right person for the growth numbers that you have. And so I love what you're saying, Shelly, that the first person we really need to take a look at, other than ourselves, of course, is, mm -hmm. is our front desk person, our office manager, are they the right person to scale with? And if not, we need to deal with that first. Yeah. And oftentimes it's as simple as she was perfect for, like you said, perfect for the size of the business that you hired her for. But in reality, we need to be hiring for the future. Yes. Not hiring out of panic. I need someone today. I need someone within two weeks and just taking, you know, essentially a warm body. And then that person not being a long-term fit for you. So you want to be able to hire for the future because the more often you can hire people in that are willing and ready to run alongside you as your business grows, the better off you're going to be. You don't want to be that leader whose business is growing and you keep having to reach back and dragging your team up alongside you, right? You want them to be running alongside you or even being a couple, two, three steps ahead of you. You know, looking back at you going, come on, CEO, come with me. <laughs> That's really what's what would be ideal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So spending you know, some time to look to see what is the structure. Do you have everything set up in your office so that standards are in place? She has decision space to make her own decisions based on what she knows your expectations are and what your standards are. It's so much easier for me to make a decision on your behalf when I know what you expect and what your standards are. And then I can parlay those into my decisions to meet the needs of customers. How would office policies fit into that? Office policies are the bread and butter of any organization. Right. Those policies, they're there to guide whoever is going to be using them in their decision making process. 
So I know sometimes we think that policies and procedures are rules, and in some instances they are, especially if it comes down to a safety, you know, a safety factor or or breaking a law or something like that. Absolutely, there needs to be some some standards and some policies there. But if you can write them in a way that provides space and room for your team to make decisions based on when it's the right thing to do, they will feel more of a sense of ownership and they'll take action a lot sooner to solve the problem versus only taking it to a certain point and then waiting for you to come in and give input or waiting for you to come in and give them permission to move forward on what they thought their solution was. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. So here's a question for all of you watching and listening today. Do you have an office policy manual? Do you have a set of office procedures that anyone could step in? I mean, if you had a heart attack tomorrow, could somebody step into your business, look at your office procedures and know how you do things? So if that's not something that you have, that's really something to focus on in the next quarter because every office has to have one. Shelly, you mentioned before taking the emotion out of hiring. How do you do that? Mm -hmm. Well, oftentimes the reason why we we make hiring decisions based on emotions is because we're not prepared. We just put out a job posting, start collecting resumes, pick a few, call a few, start doing an interview. And there's that sense of, um, you know, when you're in a rush and it's like your voice is coming from here. Yeah. It's like, you know, like you're not. So you're making decisions based on emotion and this massive sense of urgency instead of calming down and really putting some effort and embracing the moment for what it is. So having a really clear job posting so that you your job posting is weeding out candidates that you don't want anyways. And then making sure that that job posting is located in a place where it's actually going to attract the best candidates to you versus... I mean, we've all done this where we put a job posting out there and people are applying and we think to ourselves, why did this person apply for this job? They have absolutely no qualifications. What were they thinking? Because in you're wasting their time, they're wasting your time as well. And then having that clear job posting in a location that's going to attract the right kind of candidates towards you. And then having a way to go through those resumes and decide, okay, who am I truly interested in meeting? Like, who is it going to be worthwhile for me to meet? Mm -hmm. And then you host your first interview. And that first interview is really an opportunity to check the validity of the resume, you know, ask them some key questions on why did they apply? What's compelling about this job opportunity? How do you think you could add value immediately? by coming and joining my organization? And what have you done in the past that you think can is quite transferable into the role that I'm offering right now? Mm-hmm. And then you're gonna to wanna to ask questions where they tell you stories because the more you can keep people conversing with you during an interview, the more they'll share and the more you understand who they are and what their capacity is. And we often think we have to have these you know, very dry interview questions. But in reality, an interview is just a conversation. And so you want to just keep the conversation going so that they open up more, tell you more stories, and then you're going to lean into their answers and really look to see what are they telling me here? 
Will they be a fit? Will they even like my office? Would they even like serving my client base? Are they going to be turned off by my client base? You know, so you've really got to look at those things. And then once you've gone through the interview process, I would suggest you host a second interview with someone else on your team. Because that brings in another point of view and that will remove any emotion that you've got there. Mm -hmm. And most often the, the sense of emotion that people make hiring decisions on the most is just a sense of urgency. This fear of, I need to have somebody come and join me for the next two weeks. And that can really lead to making a quick decision that might not be the best decision for you. So by bringing in another person on the team and hosting a second interview to meet them, now you have someone else's point of view. Now you've got someone sitting in on this interview who's actually going to be working with this person and can shed some light on whether or not they think that this person's going to be a fit or not. Who is a good second person to have? Would that be your chiropractic assistant or your office manager? Absolutely. Yeah. Who's going to be working with them the most? Okay. Who's going to be, who are they going to be giving their hours of work or timesheets? Who, who are they going to be going to if they have a problem? You know, one of the things they're going to be getting their daily, daily direction from. Yeah. Bring someone in that's really going to have a lot of interaction with this person. One of the things Craig and I have always found is that if we don't have somebody else in the room with us when we're doing those second or sometimes even third interviews, we tend to hire people mm -hmm. who are just like us, which would be a disaster yeah. behind the desk, right? We need people who are more task oriented, more uh, mm -hmm. follow through where, you know, we tend to be very big picture and we don't actually want somebody like us, but those are the people we tend to be really attracted to and think, oh, they'd be great on our team. So it's great to have another set of eyes and ears. Um, you mentioned... Getting to that first interview, how do you mm -hmm. begin to pluck out the people that you want to have at that first interview? Because I know when we've put out ads, sometimes we get 100, 200 resumes, and there's no way we want to even have to interview 50 people. So what, do you have some tips on how do you kind of weed out the undesirables? Well, the first thing, first thing I always use, I use some form of a trigger in the application process so that if they don't follow that direction within the trigger, they're an automatic out. Okay. Yeah. So I don't even have to, sometimes I don't even open up the email because I'll prompt them in the application process to put a particular phrase in the subject line of the email. So even when the email comes in and I don't see that trash, Okay. Right, so that just saves you time right there because you're just going to slide that email right over into the trash bin. And then if they do use that trigger for that subject line, then you're going to open it and you're going to go through it. I always put a second, a second trigger in. And oftentimes that second trigger is include your references. Okay. Like in this day and age, I find too many people use the standard references available upon request. I don't want to have to ask for your references. I want your references now because that's part of my decision as to whether or not I'm even going to call you in for a first or a second interview. Yeah. So if they include their references, then they go into the keep file. Okay. So I would encourage you to put at least two triggers in the onboarding 
or in the um, the application process. And you could even do a third where you say, please apply using the following phrase in the email subject line. Please include your current references and please highlight your most recent, um, you could put what's your most, most recent qualification is that you completed first. You could ask for your, uh, you know, in structuring your work experience, please foot, please highlight the work experience that was the most meaningful to you mm -hmm. first. Mm -hmm. You could ask them all those kind of questions. Just keep layering in more triggers so that when they don't follow those processes, it's a quick trash bin. You'll look to see who do I want to bring in? Like, who do I want to bring in? Who's interesting to me? Mm -hmm. And then from there, you go into a first mm -hmm. interview. From there, you head into a second interview. Do you, do, do you recommend any kind of personality assessments or anything like that? If you're looking to stack a team with a particular diverse set of personalities, I would encourage you to, to do that as well. Mm -hmm. But it's not necessary, right? So those personality tests, that's another piece of information, right? It's, it's another data point. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes people, when they take those personality tests, they're actually taking them choosing responses that they think you want to hear. Oh, okay. You know, so that can really screw like, the data, you know, like that's not really what you want to have. Yeah. But even if someone took one of those personality tests and they did it, you know, with due diligence, it really only is another piece of information for you. Okay. You really want to look to see what are they responding to in the interview? And then how are they performing during that trial? Like I am a big fan of two week trials, mm -hmm. right? Bring someone in for two weeks. And within those two weeks, if they're not giving you their all, if they're not trying so hard to be a rock star for you, when will they? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a right? good like You don't want to wait. You don't want to wait for month six when it finally kicks in, right? You want to see that level of high energy, high engagement, asking the right kind of questions, meeting all your basics, like coming to work every day on time. And like all those basics, you want to see all that happen during that first two weeks. And then you'll really start to see their personality and how they're going to fit in with your existing team. That two-week trial gives them a chance as well to really experience your office. We, had, uh, we did a hiring once and we thought we had just the greatest person as a candidate. And when she came in, she spent the first two days with us and then said, after work, she took us aside and she said, I, there's no way I can work here. It is way too stressful because when we had been yep. doing the hiring process, it was quiet. There was nobody in the office. It was just the applicants or it was mm -hmm. just her. But when she was mm -hmm. in the office kind of in prime time and there's babies and there's kids and there's people coming to the desk and the phone's ringing and it's a lot going on all at once. And she just realized this was not what she thought it would be and you know if somebody has a certain experience in a chiropractic office your office may be nothing like that but they may have this perception of this is what it's like and it takes being in it to find out that for some of us that's that's not at all the way it really goes so i love the two-week trial too i think it's really critical what do you think about a probationary period say a three-month 
trial period probation with a contract? Yes, I think probation periods are an absolute must. It especially comes into play if you're offering any type of benefits mm. or any type of like a car allowance or anything like that. You want to make sure that that person gets through that probation. And that includes a number of touch points with their leader, right? So you're going to be checking in with them, making sure they have what they need, getting some feedback from them as far as how they think they're doing. Do they need any extra training? No, you really want to check in often during that three months. And you want to give them tasks and projects that allows them to demonstrate a wide variety of the skill set that you're going to need them to have long term. Right. So even if you've got tasks that happen on set times throughout the calendar, you could you could even be bringing like say month end, right? Or like you've got quarterly closeouts or month end closeouts. Within that three three months, enough would be happening within your office for them to truly be able to show up looking like help in a number of different scenarios. So your client base would definitely ebb and flow through those three months. There may be somebody on vacation during that time. Mm -hmm. You and your husband may be called away on a conference during that time. Like life would happen during those three months that would really enable you to have a really good view of how much they can handle. And then after that three months, that's when you would want to kick in if there's any benefits that you're going to offer them, by all means. And in some places, the salary will actually change after they get through probation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I we absolutely up increase. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Always have a probation. Start off with the trial, and then when they you can come back and ask them. So does this look like a place that you do you, you know are you interested in staying with this? We'd love to have you if you are. I, we'd love to have you stay here. Are you willing to, you know, come and join our team permanently? And then they say yes. And then that's when you do the announcement. Mm-hmm. This is the new team member. Here's what she's going to be doing. You start to introduce her more to your clients and your community partners. Now she knows she's a member of the team. Awesome. With this, would a, a lot of the things that you're talking about would that apply to staff as well as different practitioners? If I was going to hire a massage therapist, for example, would I go through the same mm-hmm. kinds of steps for them? Absolutely. I would give them a trial. I yeah. would be bringing them on board on a trial basis. They are an extension of your brand. They're a contractor. They're using your space for a set amount of time. They're treating your clients. They could also be bringing their clients into your place of business. Mm-hmm. But either way, they are an extension of your brand. And so you're going to want to make sure that they are upholding all of your standards, all of your expectations while they're on site for you. You want to make sure that they're gelling with the rest of your team, especially if you have contractors that are not in your office every day. Right? You may have some contractors that are only there in the evenings when the rest of the team are there during the day, or you you may have specialized people that are coming in on a, like for a monthly clinic that you you still want to make sure that they're going to be a long-term fit. And that when they're here in your workspace, then they are holding upholding those uh, expectations and standards for sure. Okay. So that's actually a really good segue into a question that Goldie had for us, which is, how do you help to create a culture, a, a, 
a clinic culture, when you have all these different practitioners, some of them might be independent contractors and some of them might be practitioners that are actually staff members. What are some tips for creating your culture? Well, I think first off, you have to under, you have to understand what is it that you're trying to create? Like you yourself have to have a vision. And then you also have to be aware and open to receive feedback that everyone on your team may not be totally aligned with your vision because they'll have their own values. They'll have their own insight. They'll have their own experience that they're going to want to bring to it too. So what you're really looking for is to create a culture and a vision and a mission that everyone can get on board with. You know, you're looking for the 80 for the 20, right? You want like at least 80% of your team to really be encouraged and excited about working in your, in your workspace. So oftentimes I've seen businesses where the CEO or maybe the CEO and a couple of people create the mission statement, create the core values, and then they come out and they lay it on their team. Like they literally lay it on them. And then they'll say, this is the culture we're creating here. Here's our values. Here's our mission statement. Read it, absorb it, live it. And then they walk away thinking the job's done. And then they wonder why it never truly becomes adopted. And then they wonder why months down the road, they start to see behaviors that are totally drifted off of what they really thought that they were creating. And it's because there's no ownership for it. You may have a few people on your team that are very respectful to authority. And so they will toe the line because that's just their personality. But Mm -hmm. you'll have others who, what really drives their, their values is being included. You know, that sense of inclusiveness and being a part of the decision. So what I was telling Goldie is, I think it's a value for you as a business owner to block out time in your calendar to invite everybody to come together. They all come together. You share with them, you know, we really want to have a discussion about culture. Let's hear what does, you know, what's your definition of a great workplace culture? What's your definition of a great workplace culture? And go through the process of creating it together. And then once you've created it, the next question is, what are we going to do with it? Because if it's, you create it, you spend two hours in a meeting and of course you feed them, right? You always feed them and they will come. (laughs) So you, you host the meeting where you're working together to create this. And then somebody types it up beautifully. They may put it in a lovely frame and it's, you know, in your waiting room, in your clinic, Mm -hmm. but then what? Yeah. Right. Is it just a piece of paper that's in a pretty frame? You've got to talk amongst yourself as a team as how are we going to keep this alive? So regular team meetings, would that factor into creating culture? Absolutely. And having an item on your agenda called team culture. Right. So if you're having a team meeting every two weeks or if you're even having a team meeting every week, I mean, back in my day, we had team meetings every day. And there would always be a portion of the agenda called team culture. And this is where people could tell an awesome story about a great piece of feedback that they received from, a, from one of your customers or ask a key question. Things like, you know, summer season is coming up. You know, we need to make sure that we spend enough time to plan out our vacation for the team this year. 
you know, so that people aren't feeling like vacation are, is not a priority or mm-hmm. feeling this need of, am I, I can't really talk to my family or plan out our vacation with my family because I haven't got my vacation approved yet. The schedules aren't put out yet. So having those team culture items on your agendas will really show it's actually displaying to your team that you take this seriously. That's awesome. Can I ask you a couple of questions from our members specifically about how to deal with some kind of employee issues right now? So Danielle had asked if you have a chiropractic assistant who is, she's ill, she's going through something really major right now. How do you, how do you show empathy for that? And yet, I mean, they still have to be on when they're on. How do you balance that? Well, I think it's a balance of giving constructive feedback in a caring way, showing that team member that you, uh, you're acknowledging and you understand the health crisis that she's going through right now. But at the same point, you, you choose words that say, you know, Karen, I've noticed in the last couple of weeks that you're really tired by mid-morning and I'm finding that it's often more difficult for you to deal with the stress that's happening in the office. Let's, let's sit down and talk about what we can do about your work schedule to make sure that you, when you are here, you've got the energy that you need so that you can come to work and feel great about being here. You know, and so that sets the stage saying you've seen, right? Like you have witnessed Mm -hmm. a drop in her performance but you didn't come out and say, what is going on, girl? Like, geez, you're making mistakes every now, hour. You know, like you're not coming on yeah. that way. But you're coming out just acknowledging to her that I've seen a change in your performance. I recognize and acknowledge why. And I, let's have a discussion about what we can do about it. And then I'd also be asking her, when do you feel your best? Is it at the start of the week? Is it at the end of the week? Is it before you take another round of meds at two in the afternoon. You know, like it's, you're really going to have to put on your intuition hat here to ask key questions that give her the space to be able to give those details for you. Because the more details you have that way, where if she says, yeah, my treatments are Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And so I find that Monday before I go to my treatment, I'm feeling really energized and I'm, pretty good by Tuesday afternoon again. But I also know that Monday afternoons and Tuesday mornings, I'm very drained. Yeah. That kind of information, you can then come up with what's a recovery plan for this. Mm-hmm. How else could we staff that front desk so that it gives her a second person, or if that's not an option, maybe it's a work share, a work share opportunity while she's going through treatment. So someone else comes in and takes over that desk for a certain amount of hours, and then she continues to run the desk on hours that are best suited for her. Because in reality, you want to do whatever you can to do right by her so that she feels supported. She still feels like a part of the team, but she also knows that you're noticing and the other team members are starting to notice a dip in her performance. So then I'd also be asking her, What are some of the things that she can do to help her stay on track? Can we create some checklists for you? Mm -hmm. You know, can we pull together some one point lessons for you so that if you're feeling like you, 
you're stuck and you can't remember what the next step is, you can have those like cheat sheets, essentially, right? She could have those cheat sheets there for her, for her to refer back to. And that will give her the confidence that when she's feeling like she's forgetful or she's feeling like she's stuck and doesn't know what to do next, she can solve her own problems and self-teach herself back where she needs to be. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Mm -hmm. one of the important things, too, is, again, going back to regular team meetings, one of the key factors in team meetings is training, regular training. And uh, I remember years and years ago, a coach telling us, you know, if you have an assistant who's not doing their job properly, chances are it's not because they're incompetent. It's because you have failed to train them properly. So instead of going and hovering over their desk and getting mad at them, train more. So identify a weakness and train more. And, you know, when I think about some of the CAs that we've had, we haven't had any that have had health issues themselves, but we have had chiropractic assistants whose husbands or children have been going through something really big. And I, I think you, you see a lot of the same kinds of symptoms and behaviors that there's fuzziness and they're unfocused, they're forgetful, they're distracted, right? There's a there can be a lot of disconnect there. And I think it's a kind thing to be able to identify some of the key areas and just retrain on them, really focus in on some training too. So that's great, Shelly. Hi, everyone. I'm just popping in for a quick second to let you know that as we were interviewing Shelly, both Shelly's feed and my feed dropped right in the middle of our Facebook Live interview. At this point, Danielle came into the feed and she resumed the interview with Shelly as I was trying to get my feed back up again. So the rest of the interview was done by Dr. Danielle. Enjoy. Nice to meet you. You and Shauna were actually talking about the question that I had asked, I think, when uh, we lost the audio and video from you both. Um, mm-hmm. If I'm correct, you were answering the question that I asked about what to do when you do have a team member that leaves um, suddenly, particularly, and it does feel like an emergency to replace that person with someone else because there are tasks that have to be done. And if you don't have someone to do them as a business owner, that might mean that you're working a hundred hours a week if you don't just have someone in that role. So can you kind of recap for us what you were talking about with your thoughts on that so far? Yeah, that's that situation that you just described. That's definitely crisis management, right? So you've had somebody who suddenly has left the building. The work still needs to get done. You don't currently have a backup plan. You don't currently have a recovery plan. So your initial 48 hours is an all-hands-on-deck situation, right? You're just going to have to come in, all-hands-on-deck. But what would be helpful in the future is if you did cross-training with one or another person on your team so that in those situations, instead of crisis management, you move into, okay, who was the last person we trained? Even if it wasn't the whole job, but who was trained on some components of the job. So at least that can still get done where then you would be able to take over the rest of it. So we actually just did um, an episode on the stacking your team podcast where we featured Natalie Ekdahl and she came in and talked about the sudden loss of Jason, one of her team members. And what we ended up working through her and I is that there really does need to be a recovery plan. 
and a succession plan for team members on your team. And often that comes down to a lack of cross-training. So we put someone in a role and we think they're going to be there forever. But then often what can happen is they have a health crisis. Someone in their family has a health crisis. Their spouse suddenly gets promoted and there's a sudden move that needs to happen within a few weeks. You know, if there's all these types of situations that come up and if there's been no cross training and if there's been no job aids created, no documentation created, whoever is coming in to fill those shoes is going to be really frustrated at the fact at that lack of preparation because it's going to be so overwhelming for that next person coming in, including it if that's you who's not only working all day and running a business, but now you're having to come in and pitch hit for a team member who suddenly is not there. Yeah. I, I think that um, for businesses that are in scale up right now, um, mm-hmm. that's, that's something that we are often lacking, right? I mean, in general, a lot of chiropractic offices have a hard time training their team members to the level of performance that they want them to be at. What's really, really tricky, and I'm just kind of like foreseeing other questions that would come up from our members is, well, what about the office situation where it's just you Mm -hmm. and your assistant? And that assistant then Mm -hmm. bolts for Mm -hmm. whatever reason. Youch. And I think that, you know, there's just some times that, like you said, we are going to be in crisis mode. We're going to be out of balance and we have to do Mm -hmm. the best that we can in those times. And sometimes it could mean actually closing your office hours, right? Mm -hmm. So like if you're normally open for an eight hour day and now suddenly you've lost your office manager. And so there's you that needs to actually serve your clients. And then there's this, nobody's on the desk. It could mean putting an actual sign on the desk, you know, just saying our office manager is not here today. I'm in the back with a client, please you know, I'll be out within 15 minutes or whatever that is. And then you're, you know, I mean, you're going to be exhausted. So that's where I would really encourage you to actually shorten your business hours. Even if that means canceling appointments and rescheduling them, because I would be more concerned about your own well-being throughout this crisis management. And then the other thing I would be doing is having that second person that's available to you, even if it's just for vacation coverage, or even if it's for times where you're away on a conference or when you're on vacation, having that other person in the wing, even if they only come in seasonally or very randomly, that's better than nobody. And then having really good standards and expectations somewhere handy. That's real. That, and those standards and expectations and job aids are current, right? That's the other killer that I've seen this happen is someone has put time and effort into building out this documentation, but that was three years ago and your systems have changed so much. You're not even using the same software platforms anymore. Yeah. So then someone comes to pull down and use that, those training materials and it's just obsolete. It's, and that is not helpful at all. It sure isn't. Shelly, do you have thoughts to share about how we can, as the business owner that also works a lot in the business, um, Mm -hmm. 
strategize so that we are addressing these things on a frequent basis so that, for example, our procedures manual isn't updated by three years. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's a mindset shift. Like you have to realize as the CEO of your, your clinic, your service, whatever you're, you're calling your practice, part of being paid to be a CEO, you know, part of the draw of your salary is to oversee and make sure that there is time set aside to build out this structure of your business. So I know often, I mean, I work with a lot of different entrepreneurs and the ones who are, their actual expertise is a service-based business where they're actually serving clients and customers. They'll say to me, well, I put in a really solid day, Shelly. Like I put in like a 10 hour day. I've got back to back clients like all day. I'm like, that's awesome. You're on fire. But you actually have to look at your week or look at your month and block out time not serving clients and customers, but serving you, serving your team, serving the growth of your business. It's that whole idea of as a CEO, you need to have a set amount of time every month where you're working on the $10,000 an hour tasks. Yes. Not the $300 an hour task or the $100 an hour tasks that you're doing all day long. You need to set aside time for you to work on those $10,000 an hour tasks because those tasks and having that structure, that's what's going to help you scale your business. And that's what's really going to give you the time to be able to look at your business and say, hmm, who's my next right hire? And when would I be bringing that person in? And how many more RMTs do I need? How many more specialized clinics should I be offering my community? And on what pace should that be happening? Who, what other community partners do I need to hook up with? Like all of those kinds of questions and foresight, you know, that forward thinking, you can't be thinking about that stuff when you're serving clients back to back all day. You don't have enough bandwidth up here to be able to think strategically. So you've got to set aside time for you as the leader. We call them CEO days. You know, some people will take a, a CEO day like long weekend where they'll take a Thursday and Friday out of their business to concentrate on all of these big high level strategy. So it leads them into the weekend so that through the weekend while you're, you know, with your family and friends, all of those ideas are still cooking up here, right? You're just noodling on all that. And then you can come back in on Monday fresh and you know, you know where to go. You know what to follow through. You know what your next steps are. But having these, thinking you're going to solve and strategize in the shower or thinking you're going to solve and strategize in the car on the way home after you've just put in like 10 hours, I'm telling you, it's just not going to work. You're going to try really hard to make that work, but it won't. Yes, that was my 2017. I was pregnant. We were building a new home. And I did think, well, my best time for new ideas and to work on my business is when I'm in the shower and on this long commute that I had last year that I don't have now. Um, But now this year, I have to swing the pendulum the other way and go completely focused on systems, procedures, ramping up marketing, and really not bringing in much new business because there's going to be a lot of cleanup to do this year. (laughs) Yeah. And 
You know, oftentimes as CEOs, we just, it's almost like we need someone to tell, to tell you, you have earned the right to take time away from your business to work on business development. Yeah. That's the stage where you are in your business right now. You've put in all of the hours, like grinding it, right? Like serving those clients back to back. Oftentimes not even getting break or lunch, you know, like just moving in from client to client to client to client. You've done all of that. So now your customer and your client base is strong. You've got a team. You know you want to build up your team even more. And that's going to take CEO time for you to stop and strategize. Because it's one thing for us to get ideas in the shower, in the car. I mean, I get a million ideas all day long. I often throw them out, like give them to other people because it might not be an idea for me. But having an idea and then actually giving birth to it is a whole other story. Yes. Because the work comes in, the labor of birthing the idea. We can all spontaneously get these ideas, but if we can't put them into fruition, they just become a bunch of ideas that are in a journal, on our notes app, on our phone, Mm -hmm. they're on sticky notes all over everywhere. But that's not helping you grow the business. That's just capturing your ideas and sticking it somewhere because I'll, I'll look at that later. I'll look at that when I have more time. I'll look at that when I have my team built up the way I need it to be so that I can take time out of my business to go and strategize these more. But the time is now. You've earned, you've earned the time now. Shelly, while we are wrapping up, I would love for you to share where our members can find you if they want to hear more from you about the work that you're doing right now. Well, they can tune in every Tuesday to the Stacking Your Team podcast, which is the sister podcast to the Biz Chicks podcast. And on the Stacking Your Team podcast, every episode has to do with hiring, firing, and inspiring your team. So it's really about, for those who are scaling their business, how do I hire? How do I fire? And how do I inspire my team? And for me, inspiring is really retention. And so how am I keeping my great talent with me? So you can tune in the podcast, or you can also email me anytime at Shelly at bizchicks.com. I'd love to hear from you. I answer every single email that comes through. And then I'll also stay in your group for maybe another 48 hours or so. And if you've got questions, pop them in this thread and I'll go in and answer them for you. Thank you so much, Shelly. That's awesome. I am You're not- welcome. And I spell, I spell Shelly S-H-E-L-L-I and it's bizchicks, B-I-Z-C-H-I-X. Thank you. I'm not seeing you. You're welcome. Thank you. I think we can wrap up. And just again, I want to thank you for your time. I really, really appreciate you being here with us. It's been an honor to be here with you. Thanks again. Enjoy the rest of your day. You too. Bye now. Bye. That was awesome information that Shelly shared with us today. We were so blessed to have her expertise with us and for her to join us. What I would love for you guys to do is to share some love for Shelly by going on your podcast app and writing a review for this podcast episode so Shelly knows how much we all appreciate her being here with us. And if there's anybody that you know who's hiring, firing, 
or, you know, just leading a team like the rest of us and haven't heard this podcast episode, hit the share button and send it to them. So as I mentioned at the very beginning of this podcast episode in the introduction, if you're kind of new to the podcast and you're wondering what the Aligned Women team is, it's a paid membership site. We have about 111 members right now, women chiropractors from around the world. Most of us are moms and we're all just tired of trying to do things the way it's always been taught to us in chiropractic. We want practices and family lives that fit our vision for how we want to do life. And all of the women who are members of the Aligned Women team, they're looking to grow. They want to have awesome family lives and awesome practices that are congruent, that are in balance. We want to be surrounded by other women chiropractors who are sharing the same struggles, but having awesome successes. And we we encourage each other. We would love for you to be part of our Aligned Women community. And if it's something you want to find out more about, please go to www.alignedwomen.com forward slash join to join the waitlist. Thanks for joining Danielle and I today. Have an amazing week and we will see you next time on the Aligned Women podcast. Thank you for joining us today on the Aligned Women podcast. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, we would love for you to head on over to iTunes and hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You can join the community of amazing women doctors in our free private Facebook group, Mama Chiropractors, by going to alignedwomen.com slash mama chiropractors. And if you'd love to fast track your success in life and practice, subscribe to the waitlist for the Aligned Women Team group coaching membership by going to alignedwomen.com forward slash join. Have an amazing day and we look forward to seeing you next time on the Aligned Women Podcast.